everybody. Welcome back to Human Reaction. We have got so much news to cover with you today. With me to talk about it all, David Rand and Kyle Mack. We got Evan back there on the buttons. I'm Joe Sheehan. Today we're going to discuss the Republican presidential debates that just occurred in Milwaukee. We're also going to cover the largest interview in the history of the world, Tucker and Trump on Twitter, formerly known as Twitter, and a bunch more. But first, we're actually going to go to Maui, where President Joe Biden has finally visited, and he had this to say to the people of Lahaina. I don't want to compare difficulties, but we have a little sense, Jill and I, what it's like to lose a home. Pure fiction. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was in Washington doing Meet the Press. It was a sunny Sunday, and lightning struck at home on a little lake that's outside of our home, not a lake, a big pond, and hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating duct, the air conditioning duct. To make a long story short, I almost lost my wife. It's false. No way. Not this time. My 67 Corvette <laughs> and my cat. It's so bad. Okay, so all the inconsistency here are so frustrating because it's sunny, but there's lightning, but he's in D.C., but it's there. He he actually claims in another part that he actually made it there to watch the thing. I mean, it and it's like the small fire in his kitchen that goes from a wire into a duct into the kitchen, and that and then that and then and then the the moral repugnancy to then say I'm not going to compare suffering, but this is pretty much the same thing is so gross I and mean, it's just like geez man like kids died and and your house got a little burnt one time it's not the same well it's it's one of the, he's known for this like he's, he's known for lying about like his you know his college record and like all this stuff like he's been doing this since he's been a senator since like for 40 years he's been lying like this but this is the age of the internet right where everybody can just be like uh, what? <laughs> and then put out a video like this, right? Exactly. This is entirely par for the course for what we should expect from Joe Biden in terms of just like kind of making shit up. But the consequence of it and the, this, the juxtaposition of how inane his story is versus the absolute devastation that an entire community of people have gone through is, I think, the real, the real shocking thing. And, and Hawaiians have every right to be upset at this. Like all he had to do was show up there and say, this is incredibly tragic and I'm so sorry. And we're going to do everything that we can to help you. But instead he hit, I almost lost my Corvette <laughs> and my cat. Yeah. Like, dude, so cringy. It, 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 it demonstrates exactly how out of touch he is and exactly how his brain is not functioning to the, to the extent that he could even conceive of the fact that that is just completely inappropriate. And the crazy moment we're in is that he is so much like this so often that it feels like elder abuse just to point it out yes. and have a standard that the president, the most powerful person on the planet, should be able to know where he is and read a room. And he, this guy's got the nuclear codes and he's driving us to World War Three. Like, that's this is where we're at. Anyways, all right, so enough elder abuse. We got some other facts with the Maui fires here uh, that I do want to go through because we did cover this last week and it was just real quick. AP came out with a brand new story. We'll put it on the links. You've got to check it out. It does the excellent reporting. I mean, fa fantastic reporting, establishing the facts of what happened in Maui. Uh, we have the fire was started by a down pipeline that was, that was confirmed. AP actually tracked Power down line. the guy. Power down, line, not pipeline? 
Power line. Did I say pipeline? Yes, I'm sorry. Did. Power which, line. Which goes right into everything that Michael Schellenberger was reporting, right? Yeah. And, and, and that we, we talked about too, right? Mm-hmm. And that this is what the lawsuit's about. They actually tracked down the guy who reported the initial fire, right? So that, that's very well said. And it definitely, you know, for the right wingers who are like, this must be arson, use this moment to just get some perspective. It isn't necessarily always the thing that fits your political books. Uh, second, the roads were blockaded, right? And this is something you said. And apparently they were blockaded in order to prevent other down fire lines from potentially damaging vehicles. And that's why they were blockaded. But then when the fire was happening, there wasn't good enough communication about how they needed, you know, what the priority was. Additionally, that it just still doesn't check out exactly why they were still blockaded while the lines were down because the power was off at that point. And that's why they so many things didn't work mm. uh, like the cell phone towers and stuff like that. Um, but there is like a, a very disturbing part of this where the people who did obey the traffic laws in this case and didn't go around the cones and the blockaded areas, they are the ones who died and the people who went around are the ones who survived. Very scary, very, very crazy. Wow. Um, uh, something went drastically wrong there. There's some more stuff on the fire emergency response as being part of the broadcast system that was also released, but it still isn't clear why people in the all hazard broadcast system, why people were generally trained with these sirens to be tsunami, not fire, that it wasn't, you know, that that might've just been an oversight or it might've been like the impression that the administrators had about the effects of the sirens. It might not have been the actual expectation of the public. So there's still a lot to be done there and a lot of accountability to still be had. Uh, it's still open whether or not the water guy actually did or didn't release the water on time and why that's still unknown. Is the, is the water guy, you mean like the guy that was like the one water policy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was the guy in charge of the water yeah. and, and which is weird that you have a guy in charge of the which, water, which but you've, you've yeah. probably seen the viral video of the guy talking about those too. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I think we mentioned it briefly too, yeah. but the, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's still open and a major component to the to the story that needs to be developed because if the guy didn't release the water why and what hesitation would that you know why why in god's name would you not right. you know, and right. and then hold that guy accountable yeah lots of questions around that and if you do want to know more about the conversation that we've already had about this looking at some of the conspiracy theories that were circulating and kind of trying to apply a little bit of rational thought to those the previous episode is the place for you to check out we go into a lot of detail for now, let's switch gears and, and let's go to the Republican presidential debate in Milwaukee and break down what exactly happened, who we thought were the victors of the day and the maybe victims of the day. Uh, Kyle, do we have videos to watch here? We do have videos. Actually, do we want to break down like who we do we like winners and losers kind of a thing? Like, do we First, have winners and losers that we want to talk about here? Well, I, I think the thought? overall dynamic and I, I'm curious if you guys agree yeah. with me. The overall dynamic was Vivek versus candidates who sounded like they're from 2012 maybe even earlier like the 90s yeah right <laughs> it was very strange i mean both i mean that both from like a rhetorical point of view mm-hmm. with the exception of chris christie who had a different kind of rhetorical edge um vivek chris christie like chris chris christie being kind of the bully vivek being kind of the salesman kind of the trump era kind mm-hmm. of guy and everyone else is sounding like canned politicians yeah from 20 and a little yeah. irrelevant yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I will say Vivek, I think clearly everything I've seen, everybody thinks that he was like the clear winner of this, um, which was my prediction going into it. Um, I, I also think Nikki Haley actually kind of shined well. Like, I disagree with Nikki Haley, but I think that she did herself a lot of favors in there. So there's a couple of things. So the Fox News and CNN panel both put Vivek as the winner, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
but those are panels. There's like five dudes who it's just like a focus group who yeah. are most interested in showing up to a cable news thing <laughs> to do a show, right? So that's a very select. Be I'd love to be on TV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thirty-five-eight uh, polling suggests that DeSantis actually won. Right. He he was the one who left with the most amount of support. That's the definition of winning in that case. To to me, the on the DeSantis thing, I don't think DeSantis lost, mm-hmm. but I don't think he really won either. I th- I thought he did everything he needed to do. Right. Um. But the thing is that he kind of had the most to lose out of everybody. So I feel like he needed more. Yeah. But he did have some really good shining moments that are going to be good clips for his campaign and things like that. He did have right. those. And they'll look spontaneous in the clip. It's just in the debate. They didn't look spontaneous at all. It's like, hey, who are you, DeSantis? He's like, we got to end COVID, COVID lockdowns. Like, it was so strange. Well, like, he didn't at all hit the right notes to actually answer questions at points because he was so interested in getting certain sound bites across. Mm. That well, was pretty obvious. One of the things I will say is that there's like a very, there's a seven second clip that's been going pretty viral of him that it was put out directly from definitely like somebody from another camp. And there's the, it's like him saying, doing an impassioned speech and then giving a very awkward smile at the end. And I, oh. I actually think that's, that in itself is going to be th- something that hurts DeSantis. This is, this is the thing I linked. We're in, that me, was we're in meme warfare right now. I love right? It. Under blunders, uh, there was attempt to smile like a human. Under blunders. Let me grab that. Uh, but let me go over the rest of these stats. So uh, you, you're right about is Vivek definitely had the, uh, the, strong, the second strongest showing according to the poll. And then uh, the biggest mover was Haley, right? Who went from relatively low support to gaining support. What I can kind of see there is like the neocons kind of solidified around Haley. More people who were, you know, probably Trump support because Trump actually Actually lost out of the 35 eight like Trump loses six points for not participating for not being there functionally so a lot of people took the poll the pre-poll and then the post-poll and the pre-poll said I was a Trump supporter then they watched the debate the, these debates and said hey I like this guy now and so they moved to Vivek or to, or to Haley or to whoever um, and a bunch of other couple of small things moved but the the betting websites still put Vivek at two which is the most interesting reliable indicator right because they're usually the sensitive most sensitive to these kind of developments two percent no at the second oh, place second okay for the republican primary above DeSantis, which is very interesting there, yeah. there were things with vivek's performance where um i could see an argument for uh like there's a certain thing about vivek where there, he had these moments where he kind of gave these broad sweeping um criticisms of everybody like i'm the only one that's not bought and paid for and like that is a very good from a like kind of a Trumpian style era that we're in perspective. But like the thing that was different between him and Trump is Trump often made those very uh, pointed Mm. things where he was kind of like a broad thing where when you do this broad stroking criticism of the entire stage, it's very easy to kind of upset anyone in the audience in that moment. But if you're just like, no, you Jeb Bush, you know, Mm -hmm. you're bought and paid for by, you know, super bad guy. But instead he's just like, I'm the only one that's not a super bad. There's remember Trump being like, why is Rand Paul even up here? Yeah. Like that sort of thing. (laughs) So that was my favorite moment. <laughs> and what did he call Ted Cruz? He had a nickname for Ted. He had a nickname for everybody. Well, he, yeah. he said his he dad does. killed JFK. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it, to Ted Cruz? Yeah, that, that's what he said. <laughs> wait, wait, wasn't he the Zodiac killer? Yeah, the Zodiac killer, but he was also involved in the JFK assassination. Wow, that came out of that came out of Trump's mouth. Anyway, so wow. a good example of like the kind of the roboticism that sometimes happens with this. And, and I'm, I'm going to be sympathetic. Sometimes I watch our own podcast and I'm like, man, I look really weird in that particular moment. Um but this is what happened with, and this has been going around the internet a lot with DeSantis, and we can we can check. Yeah, out Yeah, here's here's a a memeable moment. <laughs> and I will not let you down. <laughs> and I will not let you down. One more time. <laughs> just, and like for people oh. who are just listening, it's like oh. this: the, the the command in his brain said, "I need to smile at the end of this," and he, and his body just couldn't 
Like, is that is that how was, you're reading it? I, it was more of a grimace. It was sort of like a. Ah. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things where a critique that has been levied at DeSantis is that he's he's very smart. He's he's pretty, he's a very smart guy. Like he's very well educated. And he he understands policies very very well. But he does have a charismatic factor that he lacks sometimes. And I think this is one of those things where he's trying to overcompensate for the charisma factor because he knows it's a problem in his campaign and then you get these moments like this where his like he doesn't have the instinctual smile at the right time kind of a thing i, I think that's kind of what this is i don't see how you don't yeah. just sm I, I i don't know maybe because guys i'm more charismatic as a person yeah. like naturally but i just don't see how you find yourself in that moment where you're like smile and your body goes <laughs> you well, know, the, like, the, the, but the, just this is the thing too: is there's been critical. these moments of like people took pictures like during commercial breaks and stuff, sure. and, and while he was walking around, and there's these moments where he's like really kind of hunched over. And yeah. It's because he's wearing these big ass cowboy boots, um, and there that's making him look taller, right? Because oh. apparently he's a lot of people say he's probably actually like. 5'10", but he's wearing these big-ass cowboy boots that are making him look like 6'10". Hey, 5'10 like is not short, okay? No, but like, <laughs> he, he's in the middle of the stage presenting himself as very tall, right. right? And he's wearing these cowboy boots that make him look like he's like 6'2", but mm. he's really like like 5'10", probably. So, so that, the awkwardness um, is just because he's uncomfortable in cowboy boots. But <laughs> apparently he just wears cowboy boots around Florida, which is not the style in Florida. <laughs> well, like, he's, a, he's, he's a radical. He's a maverick, you know? Yeah. I mean, it seems like he's trying to sort of being in the middle of the stage, trying to be this larger than life character, he really is trying to put on that that Trump suit, if you will, and fill that role, especially with the lack of Trump. But I will say, if you are just listening to this podcast, this is an episode you definitely want to watch. Because, We're gonna have some good moments because on the, the reactions videos. and the looks and the everything is just really they're really hilarious. So definitely check it out, YouTube or Spotify. Yeah. So what do we want to jump into first? Do we want to jump into, I know well, let's, let's return to the other dynamic, the, the overall dynamic, and then we can kind of go from yes. there. Yes, of so the dynamic Ramaswamy kind of dominated the stage because he had the most quotable moments. He had the most amount of like, everyone sucks, but me type moments, which is very Trumpian and the, without Trump being there, it kind of takes up that space in the imagination and people kind of start looking to him. For example, he said, quote, I am the only non-neocon on this stage. And I ha we have a good video of that that we can play. Um, another one is more people are dying from bad climate change policies than they are from actual climate change. That's a reference from Maui, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like these sorts of things. Uh, he said, dismantle the FBI and the Department of Education. And he said, quote, the real choice we face in the primary is this. Do you want a super PAC puppet or do you want a patriot who speaks truth? Do you want incremental reform, which is what we're hearing about? Or do you want revolution, which is just a very different tone. And it, it, so you have this dynamic where Ramaswamy is talking to everybody, giving everyone a lot of opportunity to attack him. So then he looks like the front runner because your goal in a debate is to attack the front runner, right. right? Not to attack the guy who's in third place, aka in this debate, second place. Mm -hmm. And so DeSantis goes away untouched, basically doesn't lose anything, but doesn't gain anything either. While Vivek looks like the front runner because everyone's attacking him. So we can. Well, it is. There is an interesting dynamic here of like, I almost wonder because a lot of the super PAC money that's going to DeSantis and Pence and um, and like a lot of these people, it's kind of it's kind of a lot of the same people that are kind of supporting all of that. And I almost wonder if it's if you should almost look at it like everything that wasn't because like DeSantis was entirely positive throughout the entire thing. Like mm -hmm. he didn't attack anybody. And that's at what all. you're technically supposed to do yeah. as the front runner. But like it's one of those things is like could you almost look at it like everything that Christie said or that Pence said or that Nikki Haley said is just the negative side of the DeSantis campaign attacking Vivek? There could be something like that too, right? Mm, that could be a way. Uh, it's like a good lens to think about it mm -hmm. because they fundamentally agree. Uh, except for, so 
DeSantis has been relatively more hedged against Ukraine than the rest of the Republican He's field. He's wishy-washy on it. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Didn't, did he not in this debate say, I don't want U.S. boots on the ground in Ukraine? Yes, but he, he is still very wishy-washy. Which is in, not in controversial at all. Well, it's not. Yeah. It's not, but it does The question plant. is, do we want to train F-16 fighters in Ukraine or to, you know, to then sell them F-16 fighters, which we are doing right now? Of course, and we know we've already talked about how he is very much politically leaving himself in this ambiguous territory to provide himself some outs potentially down the road. Yeah. But that does at least plant a flag. Well, somewhere. what's so great about it is, is this was probably the most, everyone's complaining about how the argument that happened, but this was probably more substantial foreign policy in a debate than we've seen a lot of presidential yeah. debates as far as foreign policy goes, right? Where Vivek really had to articulate a foreign policy view because he was saying everyone else here is a neocon. And so that forced everyone to actually come out and say what they wanted, except for DeSantis, I, I, who just didn't talk. I can't think of a big foreign policy moment in a debate since Ron Paul Giuliani really and that's what 2018 2008 right yeah if you look at way back in the day in like 2000 2000 uh you know the uh, bush versus gore there was a lot of foreign policy they talked about back then and it was pretty substantial and it was way calmer uh, right but that's someday we should react to those that's videos. bush v gore that's uh that's general election this is primary so like this yes. shows a clear distinction within the gop which is very important and it's like there's this new era of the trump foreign policy type which DeSant which uh vivek really showcased um across this debate and how he is he is very much part of that trump blob of, of foreign policy and then everybody else yeah like that and then DeSantis somewhere in the middle the right? populist right that is closer to the old right than the boomers he's on stage with. Yes. Which exactly. is ironic. But, yeah. but like, yeah, let's, let's do this uh, Vivek clip right here. Mr. Ramaswamy, you would not support an increase of funding to Ukraine? I would not. And I think that this is disastrous that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States of America. We are driving Russia further into China's hands. The Russia-China alliance is the single greatest threat we face. And I find it offensive that we have professional politicians on the stage that will make a pilgrimage to Kiev, to their Pope, Zelensky, without doing the Ooh, same thing for people in Maui fired. or the south side of Chicago okay. or Kensington. I think that we have to put the interests of Americans first, he was secure our own border instead of somebody else's. He was referring. And the reality is, this is also how we project strength so the reason why they feel like they can cut in like that is because there's a debate rule that says if you refer to someone else you can talk so when he says everyone else when everyone else like goes to ukraine pence knew he was talking to him and well, this, well, and specific, specifically yeah visiting there because there were two people on stage that did directly visit and that was chris christie and pence right have directly visited. so then they're like oh i get debate time and, and one of the things if you're not a political you don't know this and i'm trying to unpack what debates are in politics isn't what people think people think debates are legitimate efforts to debate each other to discover, discover truth that's not what debates are debates are an effort to create moments to give the impression that you should be the leader that's what they are Right. So if it's ideological leadership by making a point or coming across with the right timber and attitude, like that's probably where Nikki Haley got the most because she looked like she kind of rose above the pettiness, even as she engaged in it. Um, while uh, Vivek came across like a like a really passionate 
person and salesman and someone who was actually interested in what he was talking about and authentic. That's why he got the support I think he did. I, I think it's worth noting too is um, because there were a lot of slings and arrows that were thrown out here. But uh, the first one that made the shot was Mike Pence towards Vivek, which I think does show the interesting perspective here is, and it was, and I believe the very first insult was we don't need on the job training, which mm -hmm. pointing that he's 38 years old, right? He's young. Everybody else here is in their 60s and 70s. Um, <laughs> Thank you for saying 38's young. I appreciate um, that, Kyle. Yeah, Vivek <laughs> you is your time. age. You guys are it's the same so age, weird. Right? We were born the same yeah. year. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, we don't need on-the-job on training. We also don't need a president who needs a full-time entourage to show him on and off of a stage, right? <laughs> so, like, there may be some balance in, the, in between here. But I thought it was interesting. There were some attacks levied Vivek's way after the debate, pointing to a few things that he said, one of which referring to himself as the skinny kid with the funny last name, which was more or less a direct rip from an Obama speech, right? Now, was that a, a, an intentional allusion to the Obama spe yeah. speech on his behalf, do you think? Or, or what, what, do we, what do we see on that? And does that help him? in order to invoke that in front of a bunch of Republicans. Well, and it is worth saying that Chris Christie also levered that in the debate too. Like first, he, he specifically said, I have, I'm sick and tired of these, these like skinny guys coming up with weird last names that are saying that they have weird last names. Oh, the yeah. last person that said that was Obama. And I, I'm fearful that we just have another Obama clone coming up here. Mm. And then Vivek laid out on him is just like, why don't you give me a big hug? <laughs> right. Because there's the infamous moment of Chris Christie hugging Obama, like right before the election where Obama won. Mm. Right? And that's what had to do with the hurricane funding and all that yeah, kind of stuff. It had and, to do with yeah. that. Right. So that, that was, and it's one of those things like, if you don't remember those history, like those, those things are going to be missed on you, but like, it's very clear. Those are, it's just interesting uh, triggers in people's minds. Yeah, old school and only like deep political insiders would get all that background. Yeah. Right. And I don't think anyone that wasn't a political insider remembered Barack Obama introducing himself that way. Mm -hmm. Right. It's totally. just, it's just people who are like this. So it's another, it's a good example of the kind of advisor class doing their job, which yeah. is, Hey, you need to say X, Y things about Vivek to make him seem like this. It's another one. You don't have experience cause you're not an insider that directly leverages against his whole point, which is I'm not an insider. I don't, I haven't been the one getting you involved in foreign wars for decades on end. Right. So that's why you should trust me. They're trying to turn that into his, into his liability and saying, we need someone reliable and trustworthy. And it's also, it also relies on a couple of key things. They have to avoid looking like bigots because he's Hindu and he's brown. So he, they, they have to try to attack him from a different angle, which is he's young. Young people don't vote, but boomers do. So if they say you're young, that's a, that's a better attack vector. Now, I don't know if that actually works, right? Because a lot of boomers are tired of other boomers who are running the country in the ground. So it's a good question. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I, I, you know, you think of your parents, would they trust someone your age to run the country? Well, and it, it is, it is one of these things too. Like it, there is kind of like, you need the wisdom of the elders, which I think is true. You do need the wisdom of the elders. Right. But like, there is something about having youthful energy where it's, it almost feels to me like if, if you were to play the status game and you have your leader and all this stuff, right. It almost feels to me like you would want your leader to be somebody with youthful energy that has good advisor, like good elderly advisors around them. That mm -hmm. almost seems like the correct combination. Just right? like Justin Trudeau and Klaus Schwab, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Who doesn't want or, that? Or like, or, or like Philippa Macedon and uh, Aristotle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right? So like, yeah, that's like, like that's the archetype. I like my example better. <laughs> If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. 
His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. Okay, so, but there were a couple of other criticisms of Vivek. I just want to put these out on the mm-hmm. table. I mean, it, we, he's a biotech CEO, right? He's a billionaire mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, kind of, I think some of the the attack vectors from the, I would call it the sort of the conspiracy community, right? Like on the internet are pointing at these things and saying, are we really going to put a biotech CEO in a position of power after COVID, after, you know, all this, you know, the stuff with the vaccines and the lockdowns and stuff, is that really the direction we want to go? Well, actually, I'll, I'll lay this out because we were talking about this before the podcast because I think the two major things um, that are being levied at him from the right is that he got, uh, he uh, apparently Soros is funding him. Right. And what happened with that is that when he was a young kid going to law school at Harvard, he got a scholarship that all all billionaires fund scholarships. Like it's just a part of what they do. Like they it's their charitable donations because tax write off. Everybody does philanthropy for tax write offs, right? Um, so he got a scholarship that is some that is in the Soros ethos. Like that's all it is. Sure. That's the, and everybody's saying that he's funded by Soros. Well, and the, the right. I think the. The second layer of that and he's criticism. Like 24 years old at this point, too. <laughs> right. The second layer of that criticism is that uh, he said, in order ahead of time in, a, in another clip to sort of defray this criticism here, that he was, you know, he didn't have a lot of money at the time. However, it, it has come out evidently that he was, in fact, a millionaire at that point. Yeah, he had a biotech company at the time, yeah. But then, then David, you made the point that, uh, you know, well, if someone's giving away free money, I don't care how much money I have. I'm, I'm going to take it. Right. If there's well, a if, grant, if you ask Trump, did you take that tax return? And you're like, yeah, if you, if you ask any <laughs> business be, owner, you'd be an idiot if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, and then all of a sudden we say, how dare you? I don't know. Like, don't get me wrong. I do think people should take principled stands and you know, someone really be something when they take a, a stand on something. Um, well, it's, but it's, it's, I wonder like how many saying, people, uh, also got subsidized Pell grants on taxpayers who don't believe that subsidized Pell Grant should exist. Well, it's, it's like saying like, I don't believe in social security, but yes, I'm going to take my money out of social security. Right. Like, of course, obviously. Like that was a criticism that was levied at Ayn Rand back right. in the day. Which of course was, inverts the moral matrix. The moral matrix is whoever uses force is the bad guy, not the person who gets the crumbs of their own labor back to yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and uh, don't get me wrong, it's not clear to me. Did he know at the time that it was a Soros scholarship? Maybe not. I don't know. Did it's, he have the political philosophy at the time to be aware of that? Who knows? You got to ask him. So like, that's the thing that bothers me is if he just, I, th- I just think it's low level resolution thinking to jump to that conclusion that he must be some conspiracy to convince the right. If you think he comes across as fake, point it out to me. I don't think he does. Like, I just don't read him as being a fake. I mean, right? he definitely has a sheen about him that you can There's tell a salesman is, he's very polished. Yeah. Right. And I think that that can sort of confer that sort of vibe to a lot of people specifically in the debate. But you know, uh, he does a ton of long form podcasts, like I, a ton, a ton. And like if he yeah. was, and he's doing that much long form podcasting, I just don't think, I think it would come out. Yeah. I've, li- I've listened to dozens of Vivek interviews and I read his book before he ran for president. Like I'm pretty confident that he is who he says he is right here. Mm. Like, like, cause he was on the, he was one of the early people on the ESG train before ESGs became part of par- popular parlance. And it was right around when I was investigating ESG stuff too. Like, it, like he's he's I'm confident that he's who he says he is. Um, the the other the other thing that's levied about him uh, outside of the debate stuff, and we'll get back to the debate here, is that he uh, is a World Economic Forum guy. 
but this is a strategy that the World Economic Forum does is that they have this like young leaders program where Klaus Schwab just announces future global leaders and they're people in politics, Fortune 500 like CEOs, all this stuff. And like Putin was on the list. Like it's they they just do a wide swath of trying to bring people into the network and it's kind of like an invite into the social club. Like Ivanka Trump was on the list. Tulsi Gabbard was on the list. Um, Jared Kushner was on the list. Like it's wide. AOC was on the list. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Vivek actually sued the World Economic Forum to take his name off the list. So like none of these other people have sued them. Like it's just Klaus Schwab just he basically just like hands out an invite. But it's also one of those things where they they get to say at the World Economic Forum that we have all these people, but really they don't. It's just like an invite list. Gotcha. That's all it is. Gotcha. Um, so it's not like he is in some way really integrated into the yeah. organization per se. And Judging by his book that I read, like he is very much vehemently opposed to the World Economic Forum agenda. And this was before he ran for president. Now, could this be all like a disguise that he had before he came up? Well, like, I don't it think could it, be. I don't think you need to go as far as to say it's a disguise. I think it's very clear that he is calculated. He's very, He's very politically savvy very and very smart. And I think, you know, if we look, if we zoom out on like what his strategy could be in this in this race, and I think he's almost alluded to it directly is that you know Trump has said as the front runner assuming he stays there he could be picking his running mate from this field of republican candidates and i think it it looks to me it seems clear that Vivek is positioning himself as not the opponent of Trump as not attacking Trump unlike DeSantis in fact defending him in some instances trying to court the Trump audience and come at this from a, per, a perspective of if i don't win which he probably won't i don't know all bets are off at least I put myself in the best position to be VP and then beyond that. Well, but there's he's also, also said he, he isn't doing that. and He's accused of that regularly because he's cultivating the Trump crowd. Now, let me be clear. If you're a Republican politician anywhere in the United States right now and you don't align yourself with Trump, you are making a massive potential mistake. Here's Absolutely. Why. Because he's the most popular Republican in the country by a huge margin, universally. Now, so... Not everyone likes him, but across everywhere you need in order to become president. So he could be doing that. But it's also just as fair to say if Trump gets indicted and is found guilty in time for the election, who's the person who's most likely to be able to tick up his torch isn't going to be a person who's going to be attacking him the last eight months. Exactly. So if he's if he's the candidate making the bet that the indictment goes through and that he is now disqualified from taking up the office, how many Republicans are going to switch over to Vivek? That's the question. And yeah. there is an important Vivek. thing here, too, is. The fake. My bad, guys. I can't, I can't help it. It's E in my head. There's an important thing in here, too, of uh, Vivek was, a, was an unknown name four months ago. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it is pretty crazy to watch this meteoric rise right here because, like, you only really see have seen Vivek up before this debate if you're just kind of like a creature of the internet and you follow like political podcasts or you listen and stuff. to our podcast because we've been on him since the beginning, son. Yeah, on that's top true. Of it. Well, and yeah, like I'm I'm a big Vivek fan. Like he's the first in first politician in my adult life that I've actually been excited by in any meaningful way. I, I was I, I was an adult after the Ron Paul stuff. Yeah, so. I, was, I was like, bro, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what? Where were you? I was in high school. That's where, that's where I was. <laughs> but like Vivek is the first person that I've actually. And it's largely because he's hit the issues that I actually know some things about, which is like the ESG stuff. That is like the thing he's championing. Well, right and, now. and he has said in his past, he was a libertarian. And he did also say on TV that if he were to appoint a Fed chair, it would be Ron Paul or Rand Paul. Ooh, yeah, and I felt that one oh, so man. much. I was like, yeah. Oh, but also like, I was like, hold on now. Like he's courting me. 
He's trying to reel me in. He's telling you and what I you want to hear. I got to maintain some objectivity. He's like, the only people who care about the Fed are libertarians. Know. He knows that now. Yeah, so. we, we have to court that like solid 2% right there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Yeah. Um, no, but like it is, it is, uh, Vivek has impressed me a lot. I'm very supportive of him and I like to see where he's going, especially because I think that he understands and I, he understands he's not going to become president unless something drastic happens to Trump. And I don't think he's just like betting on Trump falling like i don't think that's the, the his well I, right I think now. it's even odds i, I don't I, see a reason why you wouldn't if, I, I, I think it's a legitimate strategy i think vivek's i think vivek is actually much more uh has much more of a sense of like he hopes to be able to make a uh swerve in directing the republican party in a certain direction mm -hmm. and if he wins that's great like like he wants to win right yeah. but like he wants to be able to change things but he's also here going to be here for a long time right? right like he is in the same way that ron paul did ron paul inspired a bunch of young people that had no sway or power or anything and those Ron Paul kids are now hitting their 40s and they're starting to be able to be more important because they have income, they have all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like th this is a generational uh, shift where he's inspiring a lot of young people right now that are going to be important 20 years from now. Um, and I think that's a very important long-term outlook to look at here. And you also have Elon Musk is kind of propping him up quite a bit here too. Interesting. That's been cool. Yeah. So we have a couple other, the, the conference afterwards, not for the right, but for other parts, which is that he said cli the climate chink the climate change agenda is a hoax, Vivek did. And then we had people like the ACC, the American Conservation Coalition, which is a center-right group, basically say, uh, no, it isn't. That's so stupid. <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, Biden himself actually you know, said, actually, climate change is real. Right. And this is a subtle change. The climate change agenda is a hoax versus climate change is a hoax. Mm. Different. Well, and this is an important thing too, because like, and this is something that people got to realize about RFK Jr. Actually, because RFK Jr. for a long period of time has been this environmental lawyer, right? And he's always talking about this stuff. But like, he'll also go on Jordan Peterson's podcast and, and say, "I think that the climate change agenda is often used to towards authoritarianism." Right. And it's used to push towards that. So like, this is a very important distinction. You have a guy that's really concerned about climate change, but also understands the politics of it, of this can be very, this can be drastically bad and pushing towards bad ends. Yeah. Right? Look at like, look yeah. at the inflation reduction act. Yeah. Great. Example. That's the climate change agenda. It's the green new deal. Right? Yeah. The green new deal, <laughs> climate change agenda, you know, uh, basically saying everyone has to live in an apartment building, climate change agenda, right. Rather than freedom to build. Climate change agenda has all kinds of implications that aren't have nothing to do with whether or not climate change is real. So the the that that pivot there is a direct manipulation, and it, it just it just it's actually really nasty politics because it basically divides the right in a way that's completely silly. One of the first questions, the actual only audience question, was from an ACC kid who no, came it was from a, a YAF kid, Young America's Foundation. Yeah, but he's also ACC. He's also volunteer. ACC. They okay, claimed him. I they see. claimed him. So it I was a, it was a deep fake, right? I'm just kidding. I don't know about these things. <laughs> what are you watching here, Kyle? That, that kid didn't exist. <laughs> okay, here. Yeah, here is the uh, question. Let us be honest as Republicans. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The anti-carbon agenda is the wet blanket on our economy. 
So, so those Republicans are not booing climate change agenda as a hoax. To be clear, they're they're booing uh, that he did the blanket. Like this is like what I was saying before, where bad strategy. Uh, yeah, wait, it's bad strategy. Where Trump is generally much more pointed with his insults, and mm-hmm. he did a broad blanket. What he should have done is to say Hutchinson is uh, you know can't say this, but I can say this, right? Or you know this person can't say it. Even but though I'm not sure who's Hutchinson. Of- is, is the strategy though? <laughs> is the strategy though to not punch down, right? Like if Vivek is coming out and trying to position himself as a front runner, he doesn't want to single out anybody because then he's he's drawing attack directly from them by sort of distributing it. Yes, it's probably a tactical mistake, I think, because he can he's unifying people in the audience who might be scattered amongst support for all the other candidates. But at the same time, he's not directly singling out anyone to like pull them up the ladder behind him, if you will. Right. Yeah. Also, also important, the audience is all donors. Right. At least the first donors to respective. According to according to Glenn Greenwald, the first two rows were reserved for RNC donors, Mm. not the entire audience, but the first two rows. So, and that's that's why some of the noise comes out the way it does. Oh, so the microphones are positioned closer to the donor section. Yeah, and so I see. And he has this whole like this is trying to fight the anti. This is trying to try to create an anti-populist narrative because you have all these popular people who lean populist watching the debates and then saying, "Oh man, that got booed. Maybe I need to rethink about what I think." Because mm. right? that's how a lot of tremendous ideas are transferred. Well, and, uh, and another thing too is uh, something that we don't have the clip queued up here, but. Uh, um, introing into the question uh brett bear had asked the question of show of hands raise your hand if you believe humans are uh contributing to climate change and i'm really happy that uh desantis did this because i think that is a terrible question it is a terribly unnuanced question where like i think yes and no on that are both terrible things right. and desantis was like let's cut out with the kindergarten shit <laughs> like, and just <laughs> cut him out good. and then it, it actually became a better conversation because desantis did that so i want to mm-hmm. give desantis credit for that for sure uh, there was some other interesting questions, such as, did Pence uphold the Constitution or did he betray Trump when he authenticated the election? That was really interesting, right? Because it's really strange wording. And, and that, here's the thing. In 2020, I kind of missed a lot of this. Like, I saw things going on, but I didn't have the time and the resources really to, to research this stuff. So I'm trying to get a grip on what exactly is the debate here. Because this is also the debate around the indictment the indictments and that also relates to the trump stuff so we can return to this but to to kind of give you a tease real quick before we return to it because trump also covered this is it's strange wording to say did pence uphold the constitution or not because the constitution is tremendously vague in this area Hmm. and the entire legal debate question is what role does the vp play in authenticating the election when there's a doubt about the authenticity of the election Does he play a purely ceremonial role? Trump called him a, um, a conveyor belt. Conveyor belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or does he play like an actual managerial role? And the wording itself is vague, so vague that they changed the law in 1877 to try to govern this better. And then they changed it again after 2020, right? Because it still wasn't clear. And so it, that's, that's the interesting thing about whether or not he's guilty um, well, and, you know, when it comes to did he do the wrong thing by saying that this wasn't, that by encouraging the, the uh, sorry, I didn't say that very well. The question is whether in encouraging Pence not to do a, to do a certain thing that he thought was constitutional, was he taking away the civil rights of the people who were trying to vote in Georgia? That's the question of the of the indictment, and that's what they're trying to debate him here, uh, trying to make a debate division on, which is how do you read this section, uh, this part of the of the U.S. Constitution and this law from 1877? Well, and one of the other important things too is I, I noticed Pence's wording on this. 
of he's he's Pence in the thing said no vice president has ever exercised the power before. He, he, like that was his exact wording on there. He never said that the vice president does not have this power, which is an important thing for that the the Trump indictment here. But yeah, we'll get that. We'll get to that when we cover the Tucker Carlson interview because Trump puts it in his own words, which is always Trumpian and fun. So I have to I have to do my buddies a favor and mention 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 that a major issue in America today was not mentioned at all in this debate, and it's a travesty it wasn't, and that is veteran affairs reform. I mean, the veteran, veteran affairs is a freaking disaster. Veterans are dying at this incredible rate. There are known reforms that could make it better. There are policies that Trump passed that have been repealed by the Biden administration. So it makes an excellent Republican talking point. There's so much juice to that squeeze because we have so much admiration for the GWAT veterans who are suffering in this moment. And it was completely ignored this debate. And it's a real travesty that Fox didn't bring it up. And then no candidate saw the angle and took advantage of it because so many veterans are out there trying to do the best they can with severe problems and barriers. And the government's not helping them, despite the fact that the government promised to. In fact, they're making it worse. So I, um, I got I to gotta shout out to that. Uh, the guys at you know, Concerned Veterans for America and other veteran organizations were on Twitter all night just raising hell about that and they have the absolute right to because it's just it's absurd that we talked about UFOs right and I'm a UFO guy right I'm open to talk about UFOs but it's absurd that that got mentioned but not VA reform and only Chris Christie got to talk about it that's uh, lame it was lame <laughs> it was lame well th- th- there is a th- he did have a good response to this like I get the UFO question yeah. come on because you know? I'm from New Jersey <laughs> <laughs> Chris Christie is fun and kind of personable I, I despise the man but he's kind of funny yeah yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's um, how a lot of people feel about Trump too, right? It's yeah. like, well, he's entertaining at least. Well, but then 30% of the country just gets psychotic and is psychotically deranged, well, which uh, I think yeah. is another answer, like uh, another thing in regards to the Vivek, like, cause Vivek is kind of like 2016 Trump, like probably even more so than Trump is now these days where like, at least the country doesn't get psychotically deranged about Vivek, right? Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I've heard a lot of Republicans or I've, I've heard Republicans say, God, I wish there was a Trump who just was a little bit like, you know, rounded around the edges not so blunt and not so off-putting. And I think everybody actually thought that that was going to be DeSantis, mm-hmm. yeah. but it does seem Completely. like it's becoming Vivek. Mm. Like DeSantis is not filling that role. He's not charismatic. He doesn't really have that energy. He can't smile like a human, evidently, <laughs> but Vivek is, is pulling that together right. and he's an entrepreneur. So there's a lot of parallels. It's really interesting. 100%. I think the problem with DeSantis right now is everybody loved what he did with, uh, with Florida, but nobody had really ever like heard him talk or anything. So everybody has this like fantasy vision throughout the COVID era about DeSantis. And then when it actually came down to it, they, the, the vision of what they had of him and what the reality was didn't match. It's like so a bad everybody, Tinder date. Yeah. Everybody has like had this, they're like breaking out of this uh, cognitive dissonance of being catfished. on <laughs> <laughs> The DeSantis catfish. Yeah. Everyone swiped right during COVID. Well, and, and, and then and the date the actually got set in 2020. Well, and that's the thing is like domestically DeSantis is actually actually pretty solid right like like he's pretty good i'm sure he's pretty good the, the trick is is if, if he actually wanted to win he would be coming out with an actual restrained foreign policy vision so he could take up space that trump doesn't have yeah. but the problem is, is he doesn't feel like he can do that because he's going to get flanked by the neocons so he has to stay in this vague place and so then nobody trusts him right because if you're if you're a, someone who's very a hawk you can't you, you you got your option of pence and you got tons of options for for hawks to give to and then if you're a dove 
right? You got Ramaswamy and who's actually reliable and actually has a foreign policy point of view and Trump. And then you got DeSantis. Who are you going to pick? Right. It's, DeSantis it's just, isn't compelling in, right. that, in that comparison. Yeah. yeah. He just so he's, he's kind of put himself in that position. If you really wanted to win, he would articulate a more restrained foreign policy view. And then additionally, I just, I'm doubtful because of his reputation in Congress, because he was a congressman before he was a governor, that that's actually where he's at. He's probably actually just more of a neoconservative on these issues. Yeah. And he, does, and he knows he can't run that way because he'll lose. Do we want to, do we want to, since we're on foreign policy and the debate stuff, I do have queued up here, uh, Nikki Haley and Ramaswamy going at it on, on Ukraine. Too, All right, fine. <laughs> Let's do it. Cause I thought this was some red meat. That's yeah. juicy. <laughs> but what's really important is go back to when China and Russia held hands, shook hands before the Olympics and named themselves unlimited partners. A win for Russia is a win for China. We have to know that. Ukraine is the first line of defense for us. And the problem that Vivek doesn't understand is he wants to hand Ukraine to Russia. He wants to let China eat Taiwan. He wants to go and stop funding Israel. You don't do that to friends. What you do instead is you have the backs of your friends. Ukraine is a front line of defense. Putin has said if Russia, once Russia takes Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. That's a world war. We're trying to prevent war. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Pergozin. When I was at the UN, Pergozin. the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer, and you are choosing a murderer over, over a pro American country. First of all, first of all, first of all, Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 30 and, seconds. Mr. DeSantis, you know, I wish you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. You know, I'm not on the facts of the matter. And Raytheon. And you know, you Boeing came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. Stage, you've been pushing this lie not, all week, Nikki. You want Nikki. to go and defund Israel? Just, you want to okay, let me address that. China? I'm glad you, you brought that up. I'm going to address each of those right now. This is the false lies of a professional politician. There you have it. So I gotta say, this is my least favorite part of debates no is when they just shout at each other. And, it shows. and you know what? The, it the policy experience that you all have shows in the previous wars we've gotten into. I've progressed that. So our relationship with Israel. Um, one of the things that I find interesting there, because like this is a very clear uh, distinction here, and I, I like it, is everybody's trying to say that you have no foreign policy. No, you have no foreign policy experience because you're too young. Like the young, the youth thing is a very, it's kind of like a old school Reagan of when he was saying, I don't want to uh, let my, my opponents inexperience uh, <laughs> make them like look bad or whatever. Like Reagan said that in a debate against someone. Um, and like one of the clear answers here is like, nobody likes your foreign policy, like any of your guys's foreign policy over the last two decades. Like everybody thinks you were wrong. And like this is a, such a clear lane for Vivek to swoop in here, and and he says this here, and he's been saying this in the post interviews of everything. Is like, is like Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, like all, every like the American public's not with you here. Like everybody, like we got lied into the war in Iraq. Nobody's really in support of Ukraine anymore. Everybody's kind of like falling away from that right now, and the polling shows that. And they are still kind of beating these drums of we need more Ukraine funding, right? Like it's, yeah, it's interesting. Well, it is, and I, and I'm gonna take a different approach to this and just say from a from a consumer standpoint pol politics aside i don't think it was a good idea for nikki haley to wear a bathrobe to this debate 
If you look at oh, her wait, jacket, Pathro, I know if you look at her jacket, <laughs> it looks like she just got out of the shower. And I just don't know if that really confers a lot of like authority, you know. Plus, she's just blending right in. I mean, this is just me the being background. the visual guy. Yeah, it like, doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I'm sorry. Okay, so a couple of parts of the analysis of what she said. We got the visual analysis. Let's do the content analysis. Now, the setup from Fox is, hey, Nikki. Time to attack DeSantis. And she starts doing that. And because of the fakes over, they're like, nah. <laughs> he didn't even do that loud, too. But you could, like, hop mic kind of moment. <laughs> then she, rather than attacking DeSantis and taking the opportunity to attack the front runner, she attacks Vivek and then doubles down and doubles down. So why, why, Governor Haley, was Ukraine pro-American? Was Ukraine pro-American? Interesting. Did did our did the current president of Ukraine run pro-American? Did he say what the whole goal here is to be did, pro-American? Did Zelensky yeah. run as yeah. a pro-American? Yeah. What about was, the guy before that? Zelensky's entire his entire campaign was that we were going to sign the Minsk, Minsk Accords. Yeah. That's why he got it. Is that pro-American? Interesting, because that was brokered by Germany. Right. Yeah. But it is pro-EU in a lot of sense. And then uh, what about the guy before him? Well, what about the wasn't guy he overthrown him? in a coup? Yanukovych. <laughs> yeah, well, so the guy before him was pro-American because the guy before him was pro-Russian and we overthrew him in a coup, right? And like, and the fact that she can, once again, this is another time slice bias thing where she tells a story starting at Russia's invasion, doesn't explain anything beforehand, so then you don't have the moral equipment to actually make a real moral calculus. She attacks him on a moral foundation, says it is immoral to support Putin. Because Nobody he's, a, because he's a murderer. Like, it's always the same magic words. Right, as if, as if, sorry guys, I'm like, suddenly. Uh, if there is a case to be made for America to get involved, it has to rely upon you not knowing anything about America's involvement in Ukraine before when the inv invasion happened. So she can't talk about that. So she has to say they're just pro-American, as if that's all there was to it, as if Ukraine was just pro-American. That does not summarize any country on the planet. Countries aren't divided into the pro-American camp and the Russian camp. That's a dumb way to look at foreign policy, right? So like, it's, it's frustrating to me that in that moment, the, one, the debater, that like, if, if, if he would have said, hey, why are they pro-American, right? That would have been the Ron Paul thing to say. Right, is that we made them be us way because we dominate them as a country. No wonder Russia doesn't trust us because they don't want NATO, Ukraine in NATO, and they don't want NATO in Ukraine. Right, those kind of talking points. And then additionally, that to go into the, the Israeli thing, it is nuts to me that a guy can't say, hey, maybe we should just support Israel just a little bit less with with subsidies. Right, that that is so such a crazy third rail. I mean, they're a first world country, guys. They're yeah. a very wealthy country. I don't understand why we need to support every country, first world country in the world with our dollars. That seems like a reasonable debate. And if you say their country will collapse if we don't support them, that doesn't make any sense. Why? What yeah, is why? the evidence of that? Where, where do you get this information from? Because they have a very large, very good military. I mean, their military might be better than ours in actually fighting modern troops. Well, at this point... You know, so most militaries are probably better than ours, right? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, it's it, it, because, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, as far as for first world countries, the question is, is like we've, and this is interesting if you go to like uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor's stuff, uh, what he's been writing about in the last three years has been how, you know, the war on terror, the GWAT has specialized our military in a very certain direction about very certain conflicts. And we currently probably couldn't fight a war against Russia that effectively right now because they have been practicing how to fight other modern militaries, not 
to fight insurgencies and you know how to avoid traffic you know bombs under roads right mm-hmm. this is we have a very different skill set right now so that and that and that's not saying i'm not trying to condemn our military or say there's something wrong with them what i'm trying to say is that maybe we're not in the right best position to start a war with ukraine or with russia and china over right now uh and then additionally that for her to just to come out and say oh man you have no moral clarity because you refuse to you have said that maybe we can spend less money on israel it's just you're giving you're you're taxing poor people in America to give to a a, a first world democracy in the Middle East, right? Yep. I mean, like, how's that moral clarity? And then you wonder how's why, that just? Well, you wonder why people resonate with the uh, ideas of Oliver Anthony in his song, right? right. It's like obviously. Claire, one clarifying thing on Israel: I think people have an absolute right to support Israel. They have a right to exist. But this idea that there can be no debate about the funding of Israel is just so crazy to me, right? I, I, I don't know. I feel like I say that, and it's like I feel like there's like a resistance there, and it's just. Do you want nuts. the terrorists to win, Dave? Well, and I don't right, understand. Like that, that's the thing, right? How could how? The, I mean, they have some of the largest biomedical companies in the world, right? They have a tremendous arms industry, which is why right? Vivek I mean, says that I probably go, go. I've probably been there more than any of you guys because yeah. he's biomed, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I just don't. I mean. And it's the same. I feel the same way about Germany and all all kinds of other countries in the world that I was like, stand on your own two feet. This isn't being. He actually points well, this out. Being friends means mutual, you know, accountability to each other, an actual like a mutual beneficial relationship, not a parent to a child. And if you actually like these countries, maybe you shouldn't treat them like children. Well, and that's, there's, man, that's there's the old uh, there's an old fair. clip from like 20 years ago of uh, Netanyahu. It was filmed kind of privately, secretly of Netanyahu saying that he has America wrapped around his finger. Oh. Yeah. I, maybe I could find it here. Man. It's, it's like an old, like, 20-year-old clip. of. But it is that thing is that there's a very deep religious sentiment about Israel. Mm-hmm. And so we have to defend the Holy Land. And it goes back to old Zionist stuff from World War II. It, it goes, there's a deep philosophical history of this that you could and go into. Christian and nationalism and all kinds of things. And, yeah. and some of that is completely understandable. Like, some people have like a deep emotional attachment because of their religion to the nation state of Israel. Cause they think it's like the fulfillment of prophecy and stuff like that. Okay. Oh, th- great. Does God rely on American taxpayers to subsidize their defense industries? This episode is brought to you by our friends at zesty beverages. They're on a mission to un the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes electric peak yerba mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. Any last thoughts that we want to move on before we move on to this Tucker thing? Uh, yeah, that's good. I, yeah, think, good. I think it's pretty yeah, clear. Yeah, yeah. We think Vivek was the winner. We, we like could him, talk about right? this the entire time, but we got to go to other stuff. So yeah. let's go. So on the uh, on the docket else also, I'd actually be curious to know what like rant, like people did. Like, did they watch the debate first or the Trump interview first? It seems like the Trump interview kind of overshadowed everything. Um, but and I, I believe I saw the ratings on the uh, on the debate itself were some of the lowest ratings in history. Oh, really? Time. Yeah. Really? On the GOP primary. Does I that include Rumble so. views? But that's the thing is I'm not sure about Rumble views because mm. that, that's actually an interesting thing on talking about new media is Rumble was uh, a live stream there and it was a partnership with Fox, which is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. um, which Rumble is a YouTube competitor. But uh, yeah, so while that was going on, Trump uh, had a pre-recorded interview with Tucker and they 
aired it five minutes before the debate <laughs> and it was an hour long, right? Um, you guys watched it? Yeah, I, I watched the debate live and that afterwards. Same, same. Yeah. I was driving and I listened to the Trump Tucker interview on my drive, but I did not have a chance to watch the debate prior. Mm. You gotta, yeah. <laughs> but it's the biggest interview of all time. That blew my mind. Yeah. Like the, 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 the biggest before this Trump Tucker thing was... Um, uh, Oprah and Michael Jackson. Oprah and Michael Jackson, right. Which Crazy. Is, which was 80 million views. Right. Um, right now, I looked this morning and the Trump Tucker interview was 255 million views. Just crazy. On X, formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Wild. What, so, was, what was your initial thoughts on it? Well, the question is, is like, should have he gone to debates, to the debates rather than doing this? Did this actually do a better job of selling him and selling his brand? Was this the right strategic move? Uh, and then the other, I think a different layer of that question is, does the public deserve to have him debate a leader of the existing party, right? Because he doesn't have a, he doesn't have universal support. He has overwhelming support, but not universal support. He's winning by 40 points in the primary. Right. right. Um, what, one of the things there is, I, I think it is smart strategically to not go. Like, and I, I think it is, it's good to like wean out some of the, uh, like the lessers, like why give them time kind of a thing. And then I think we'll probably end up seeing like Trump, Vivek, DeSantis, uh, Pence, which Trump versus Pence in a debate would be interesting. Mm. <laughs> that would be very interesting. Quite true. Um, maybe like Haley or Christie, like, and, and we'll probably bring it down to like a top five. Mm -hmm. And, and that's when we'll see Trump at the debates. Um, right now it is probably more worth his time strategically to just do this Tucker thing. And you know, like there's a certain thing of, should he have gone to the debates? Like it, he, he almost has a duty to, to go speak with people, but like he spoke to 250 million people with this more people so I, with this. I'm not sure if that's really an argument and a deeper, more like you got a better view of what he thinks than you would at a debate, which is actually probably better for democracy, right? Like yeah, you, you got, think. you got a better picture of what he actually thinks about things than if he just had a bunch of sound bites and him like shooting back zingers at although right. my criticism of, of this interview is i wish you went to more depth on things mm -hmm. it was very surface like there were certain things where he was talking about the cia and things like that where he just went super surface level and i'm very saddened by that i wish <laughs> i wish he went deeper on these things like he kind of just like skirted around the edges of things yeah do we want to do the, like, the the cia isn't us part um yes 32 minutes 10 seconds into the yes yeah, sorry i don't have the thing yeah that was the problem with the this one we had to down x video doesn't allow us to do this quite as easy as youtube it called me it was like throwing a rock into a hornet's nest into a nest of bees and the place went crazy so do, when you were president do you are you confident that you knew everything say cia was doing around no i'm not i'm not it's uh it's a very interesting group of people. I had very good relationships, I thought, but I was a little surprised uh, when I got out of that. Why does it keep stopping there? That's the CIA. CIA trying to keep us from learning the truth. This is the deep state. The deep state. <laughs> um, okay. Control You're right. Internet. He seems so less tr Trump. He doesn't got the juice. He seems he doesn't tired. Got the juice anymore. He seems tired. Or it's just more intimate interview. Twitter is broken since Donald, Donald Trump came back. That is true. It has been way Legitimately, worse. Legitimately, when, when you sent that post, when Trump came Twitter back, was down. Twitter was completely wiped off the, off the earth. I could not access <laughs> it. And I was like, Twitter's broken. Trump broke Twitter. <laughs> I mean, he said the most important thing. Were you aware what the CIA was doing when you were president? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, what? 
I mean, I mean he obviously. says uh, actually after that's really interesting too because he talks about Khomeini and how that was them but other killings was the, was the CIA as if he was not in charge of other killings yeah well, and it's, so, it's, it's very important because, like, prior to this, he's talking about James Comey, Comey, and James Comey straight up pulled a J. Edgar Hoover and came in at the very beginning of Trump's administration and was like, yo, so we did a bunch of research on you, just, just so you know, like, we'll keep this on the down low, like, right? But uh, the Steele dossier did come in for us, and we did see the, the Russian hooker tapes, <laughs> like, which aren't real. As, yeah. as we do now know, right. which is interesting. So Comey goes to Wait, Trump they, and says They this. weren't real? No. Oh, you didn't no, know that? No. Trump never peed on Russian hookers. That never happened. Dude, do you oh, not watch oh, the man. podcast? What the hell? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus, Evan. What podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were just hanging out. <laughs> He's not even talking into the mic back there. <laughs> Have you ever talking. done this before? <laughs> How, what is, are it, you doing? is this better? <laughs> yeah, there you go. He's just swiping on Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to comment. He's on like, that. He's stop like, online dating and get into the conversation. No, he's, like, he's like, damn, DeSantis just isn't what he, I thought he was. I got catfished again. <laughs> <laughs> but the important thing here is he makes the case that as president of the United States, that he did not know what the CIA was doing and could not claim full accountability for the killings of the CIA. He says Soleimani was him. But not everybody who was killed under his administration was killed with his approval. That means that the president isn't in charge of the CIA, right? Yeah. Am I, do I, if, well, it's, it's if like... When you, if you, when you say that, if you have a moment of thinking, am I a crazy person? That makes you the same person. How could we be a republic where the president isn't in charge of the intelligence apparatus... We're not. It's like the Chuck Schumer clip that we showed a few uh, a few weeks ago. Is the the CIA has seven ways till Sunday to making you kind of like regret this? And it was because Trump was tweeting bad things about the intelligence agencies. Right. And like it's so clear that the CIA is like a rogue agency. And on a lot of these agencies are honestly like it's it's the whole administrative state thing. Right. Like there, there's this whole managerial class that just does not like it's a it's an entirely new branch of government that is allegedly under the executive branch, but it's not really like you can't fire these people like there's there's entire statutes in the law that you can't pick out individual people and fire them. Um, I do like Vivek's messaging on this where he talks about how that doesn't apply to mass layoffs, <laughs> like according to the law, <laughs> but, but it is this thing where Trump ran into these roadblocks of realizing he can't actually fire people. He wasn't able to fire Fauci. He wasn't able to fire these people unless you go through these rigorous processes. And, you know, we're taught in our like high school civics class that the president has control over these things, but it's so clear that they don't, they don't, um, yeah, and that goes into this right here of the Tucker Carlson clip. But apparently, since Donald Trump uh, got off Twitter, apparently uh, got on Twitter, got got on Twitter, uh, it's just not working. <laughs> <laughs> so the other the couple of things I think is worth worth talking about in is the China and Pan, uh, Panama Canal stuff. All right, so it's important to set the stage here. So uh, I was hoping to play the clip, but. Uh, Twitter's not working right now. <laughs> or X isn't working right now. So um, basically what he says is he says that back in the day, we built the Panama Canal. We gave it away. Big problem. China now runs it. Okay. I want to just like help people understand this a little bit because it is important when you think about our relationship with South America and Central America and what these things mean uh, when it comes to this stuff. So Panama was uh, an extension of American colonialism at the time. America spent a lot of money and lives to build the can can canal. He's absolutely right about that. And then 
but even in the original document, like making letting us build the canal, we gave them ultimate rights to it. We were just going to control it and lease it functionally from them forever. Basically, the Carter administration said, no, you'll able, you're able to lease it to other people if they bid better than us going forward, starting in 1999. And so he says he sold it for a dollar, technically true. It's just we sold the rights to decide who controls the Panama Canal to the people who actually live in Panama after controlling it functionally for like 70 years or 50 years or something like that. So the other uh, a background part of this, too, is that there's been a pivot uh, in a difference between American diplomacy and, and Chinese diplomacy over the last 20 years. Since the Clinton regime, we've steadily became less economic in the way we do our diplomacy, right? So we don't come in anymore as much as we used to. We don't specialize as much as we used to in coming in and saying, hey, what do you need from an economic and infrastructure point of view? And how can we help you build your country? Right. We kind of come in with a very different, like, how do, how do we, we're going to overthrow you if you don't do the right thing, or we're going to, we're going to put all this pressure, all this outside trade pressure on you very much more hostile since the Bush administration. And that's including the Obama administration, every administration, the Trump administration, every administration has been much more hostile and less cooperative in this. And I have a great political article we can link in here so people can kind of read into that. So Trump shied away from a lot of trade deals in South America while he was president, the Chinese did not, right? The Chinese have kept their very economically focused diplomacy where they came in and they bidded for the Panama Canal contracts to run the Panama Canal. So now China doesn't own the Panama Canal. The Panama people still do. But the people who have the contracts for actually doing that and actually make money on Panama Canal is the Chinese at the moment. That isn't forever. It's not perpetual. It's just they have the current bid. When Trump was president, that bid was up as well as other bids, such as a bridge in Panama that would have favored America for getting the Panama Canal Bridge uh, contract, but American dipl diplomats were unable to get American companies to bid for it. So, unable to get American companies to bid for it? Yeah. Why? Trump was able to get American companies to do all kinds of things as president, but he didn't make this a priority. Right? The, the, and the, we have a, there's, a, there's a great um, um, a couple articles about this. So what you're saying is he, he's sort of identifying this, this problem saying, oh, if, it were, if I were to be doing it, it would be different. But really, in effect, he had the opportunity to do it and he didn't. Yeah, we could have a very different relationship with Panama. I was his president. He was too busy fighting a trade war with China. Maybe understandably, maybe unwisely. But that's the whole point. Like he didn't he didn't exactly do as good a job as he seems to claim he did when it comes to these issues when he was president. Well, I, I mean, he also mentions in this interview as far as who he would surround himself with that he didn't understand Washington very well when he first came in. Now he understands Washington. He understands, I think he said, he made the point that loyalty in business is very different than loyalty in politics. Mm. And that's an interesting note to make, right? I'm, gl I'm glad he recognizes it. He has not shown me, because this, this is my biggest critique of the Trump administration. It was like from the very beginning where... Um, all the people he put in his cabinet in 2017, I was just like, oh, we just got John McCain. Because like, he put all the people that, we as like political know, like we know politics and, we, and we're kind of in the libertarian space too, where we, we know the baddies that we don't like within the Republican party. And it was like Trump just decided to pick every single one of the baddies that like John Bolton and Jeff Sessions and all these people, right? Chris Christie was like basically in charge of his hirings, which is interesting seeing him on the stage now and being such a Trump hater. Um, but uh, like, I, I need confirmation from Trump in some sort of way that he has actually learned who the correct people are. Like after he lost the 2020 election, he decided to put in Douglas McGregor as his DOJ chief, like for the last two weeks, DOD. Of his, or sorry, DOD yeah. um, chief 
for like the last like two weeks of his administration. Mm -hmm. He was on the list of people at the beginning, but he didn't make it. McGregor is the guy. McGregor is probably the best person from like our perspective of who, like he's, you know, he's not like a libertarian, but like he's just like a realist that understands the costs of these wars, right? Mm -hmm. um, like I need, and I needed like a confirmation from Trump in some way of like, yes, I know the people. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yeah. not clear on that. You didn't yeah. get he it. He doesn't make it there yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, like, yes, it, it is interesting to see Trump taking any amount of mea culpa for, for his well, hiring. Very unlike Trump <laughs> yeah, to take right. any accountability on this. Stuff, right. right. And he kind of does in the pot in the, in the interview, which I actually appreciate. Yeah. Right. I'm like, that's a better thing to not, than to not do it. Um, do we want to talk about the, uh, Hunter Biden 3.5 million? And this is, this kind of like a, I told you so kind of thing. Cause even I forgot about the Trump debates in the YouTube video here, and he makes a reference at uh, sixteen fifty. Uh, Kyle X X is not working, but oh. um, but we do have a YouTube video yeah, from from the debates yeah. here. China ate your lunch, Joe, and no wonder your son goes in and he takes out he takes out billions of dollars, takes out billions of dollars to manage. He makes millions of dollars, and also Simply while we're at true. it, why is it just out of curiosity? The mayor of Moscow's wife gave your son three and a half million dollars. What did he true. do to deserve it? That what did he do with Barista to deserve one hundred eighty-three thousand dollars? But it, it was interesting to me to see um, the. Uh, he was talking about this because this is completely confirmed true now with all the Hunter Biden stuff. Is that the mayor of Moscow's wife, who is apparently a billionaire? Um, she is some big billionaire in Russia. Uh, just so happened to give Hunter Biden $3.5 million for what? We don't know. Probably some paintings. <laughs> yeah, it's probably some paintings. Yeah. But it, it goes in. It's the same thing with Burisma. It's the same thing with like these China connections. Is like, And all these things are coming out as true now. But Trump was saying this back in the debates during this time. And it was kind of one of those things. Why would you target the, the president's son? Right? Mm -hmm. Like that was always what was laid out. And also a lot, of, a lot of those sorts of stories need time to breathe as a story. And the press needs to talk about them to support what the candidate's saying. Now, if a candidate says something provocative, the press doesn't talk about it. It's like the candidate didn't really say anything. Well, that's, that's the power of the press. Like you could have the existing president say, this is a problem and there's corruption. If the press says, well, he lies all the time. So we're not going to talk about it. It's worth saying it's like this, the story. It, like it never happened. It's worth saying too that this is like two weeks before the Hunter Biden story was suppressed, yeah. and uh, and New York Post got banned from everything for publishing it. Right? Mm -hmm. Like this is right in when all of that was happening. It's worth putting that. Into yeah. Context. So it's like yeah. it's part of they say like how it was, how it could have gone is that Trump said this was a thing. It's then confirmed by the Biden laptop story, and then how much of the population might have voted differently? Right, knowing that Biden's son was influence peddling and substantially and, millions of dollars payments from foreign nationals and, while not being registered as a foreign agent. And adding context to this, Trump in the interview here also said that, no, I didn't really know what was going on at the CIA or I didn't know all the things right. Yeah. And we had the intelligence agencies actively going to the social media companies saying that there's going to be this Russian disinformation story that's coming. Yeah, like all these things start to all the variables start, start to, to add click up, together, and you start right? to feel like a crazy person. You start to feel like everything that everyone talks about isn't real, and right? that and it's all made up. Me. It's all fake. And this and was so, me during the election yeah. time, and I felt like everyone around me was just like, "What are you talking about?" Like, <laughs> like and now it's all coming out, right? Right. Or at least even even now, if you say, "Hey, I don't think our country is actually run by the president; it's run by this 
thing, this blob, this culture, this permanent state that never really changes despite who's in the executive office. You know, like a lot of folks in the liberty movement have been saying this is 2012, right? Or even 2008. And a lot of people have been saying that for a long time and it was like, it would seem even crazier then, but if you don't see it now, goodness, the evidence is right before your eyes, man. Just wake up and look at this thing because it's right there. The president, the former president says, I didn't know what the CIA was doing when I was president. That means we're not a democracy. That means we don't have rule by the people anymore. We don't have popular sovereignty because that means the guy who's our elected representative or the Senate, most of the Senate, except for the, the gang of eight have no idea either. So it's not like the, the Congress is running anything either. They've delegated all the war powers to the president and the president has apparently no ability to control what the CIA or other agencies are doing. It's crazy. Well, I, I'm reminded too of uh, when, uh, when Tucker Carlson dropped the JFK files on uh, when he was still at Fox News. Mm. It was like a few weeks before he was gone few, or maybe a couple months. Um, the CIA whistleblower that gave him all the stuff, the information about it. Um, when Tucker asked him, like, was the CIA was the CIA involved in the JFK assassination? The the whistleblower's um, response was yes. Everything we know is fake. The country is not what we thought it was. Which, whether or not you believe all this stuff, right? Like, that is a very powerful statement coming from a CIA whistleblower, yeah. right? Right, and, and like your options are either to blank it out. Are you familiar with Alan Rand's thing, blank out? Yeah. Right. Is when you have a contradiction in your mind, a cognitive dissonance, you have a choice, a, a moment in time to choose. Do you accept what your eyes see and what your ears hear, or do you put your head in the sand and do you blank it out? And that's what a lot of people do. They'll find a truth that they cannot reconcile with their model of the world, and it makes them so uncomfortable, they just blank it out. They just ignore it. They just pretend like it didn't happen and they move on with their lives. And for the most part, that's perfectly fine, except for the fact that there's a slow creep of tyranny that is absolutely dependent upon the average person hearing that sort of information or hearing the president say, I, I, I got, I killed Soleimani, but a lot of those other people, I didn't, I don't know <laughs> that if you don't react with a, what the hell's going on here? I want a country that has some semblance of the thing I was promised. And if you don't react with outrage, instead of you just say like, well, I don't know. I don't know everything. You never know. You know, he could be lying, you know, and if you look for reasons not to believe it because it's too inconvenient, it's too difficult to conceptualize that we need intelligence community reform, that we need to change this system, then the system will never change. I think there's a third option there too. And that is not necessarily apathy or outrage, but it's also like almost just putting your hands in the air. Like what can I possibly do to affect the fact that the intelligence state is running amok and doing whatever it wants outside of the purview of the executive branch. You can hardly even expect your representative in Congress to represent you as a, an individual person in this world. So I think a lot of people are probably just like, the hell am I supposed to do about it? Oh, very I don't simple. know. You, you can do something about it. What can I do about you it? You can tweet about it. You can put it on Facebook. When your representative is in Bozeman next week at a Republican women meeting, you go there and you say, hey, what are you going to do about intelligence reform? The frickin' president just said that we don't, he doesn't have control over the CIA anymore. That's what you can do. And anyone can do that. In whatever town you're in, you can do that because they're doing town halls all over the place. You just got to get off off your ass and go do something. And that's, that's why we started this podcast is to try to do something to make things better because things are not okay. 
And it, 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 all this cultural product will come out like Oliver Anthony and say, things are not okay. And people just say like, well, yep, things aren't okay. And I'm going to move on with my life. But you got to do something. You got to spend some time. You got to sacrifice something if you want anything to change. Or the Beltway tapes will say, why do you have to put out such a negative song? Why don't we talk about the positives <laughs> in life? Right? Exactly. So do we want to talk about the uh, authentication of the election thing? Uh, the pen stuff? Yeah, because I got some clarifying information, I think, if people watch the Trump thing that they should probably know about. You've always been nice to Pence. I've never heard you criticize Pence. You've defended him in public many, many times. He's out there attacking you. Um, what is that? So Mike wants to run for president. You got to understand, in my opinion, Mike Pence had the absolute right to send the votes back to the legislatures. Uh, the Democrats and everybody said, you don't have the right. In other words, what I said, is he a human conveyor belt? You mean, if he finds fraud in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in any of these states, Arizona, he has to send them to Mitch McConnell, right? That's right, sir. Well, if he finds fraud, he has to? Yes, sir. I said, so he's just, so he's a conveyor belt. Boom, put him in. I said, I don't agree with that. And we had some lawyers, not all, we had some lawyers that said, no, you do have the right to send them back to the legislatures to be rechecked. Because if you looked at what went on in Wisconsin, who, by the way, now agree with me, Wisconsin has been virtually, other than the fact they're not allowed to do anything statutorily, but Wisconsin has been, I mean, what they found is incredible. I mean, we won Wisconsin. But Mike Pence had the right, in my opinion, to send him back. Do you ever talk to him now? Uh, no, I haven't spoken to him in a long time. Uh, I was very disappointed in him. I didn't want to do what Thomas Jefferson did. Thomas Jefferson, it was Georgia, and it was here, ye, here, the great state of Georgia is not capable or allowed to tabulate their votes. And Thomas Jefferson, who was the vice president, said, is Georgia sure that they cannot tabulate their votes? Georgia is sure. He didn't send it back and have him redo it. He said, we will keep the votes of the great state of Georgia for Thomas Jefferson and his president. I didn't ask him for that. Could have done that too, but I didn't. I thought that would be turmoil. I asked him to send. This is completely incomprehensible to me for a couple of reasons because it doesn't make said. any sense. I don't know what he just all right, said. All right. So <laughs> a law from 1877 codified how the House procedure is supposed to work here. But um, how, this is how the article... Or, so Article 2, Section 1, Amendment 12 of the U.S. Constitution reads this. The VP presides over the counting of the things. The House and Senate confirmed the election was legit. Have to, have to do both. The majority wins. With a tie, the U.S. House decides. That's, 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 my, that's my reading of Article 2, Section 1, Amendment 12. Uh, the question remains is what makes it constitutional, right? So... There's an so how the legal system works. You have the Constitution. On top of that, you have code, and on top of code, you have the judicial decisions about what the code means, right? And then you have executive implementation, which also kind of sits by by judicial decision. So how it works is that the objections of each individual state returns must be made in writing at least by one member of the House and the Senate. So in so say for example. Wisconsin had objections. You have to have one member say, hey, I'm worried about fraud in Wisconsin from the House and one from the Senate. They go to opposite chambers and they debate. If they get a majority in both houses of both chambers, then it isn't counted. That's how the 1877 code basically uh, does this. 
Uh, they vote separately to accept or reject the objection. Then the then then uh, reassemble in joint session and announce the results of their respective votes. An objection to the state's electoral vote must be approved by both houses, both chambers, in order to for any contested votes to be excluded. So what that means is it has to be debated by each one, and then if it isn't conclusive, that's how you get things not counted in the electoral co college. That happened on January 6th, but the Republicans didn't have the votes to get anything excluded. So his point, and this is what's crazy about it, because I've been looking at, I've been looking, I looked at this quite a bit. And this has happened before, too. In 2005, uh, interesting, a couple of Democrats, uh, Stephanie Tubbs and uh, Barbara Boxer, objected to Ohio's electoral counts for George W. Bush. All right. So that all happened, and they, they ended up losing that vote, right? So this isn't – if that, that happened on January 6th wasn't unique, it's his novel um, argument that it says that the, the VP has control over the proceedings, right? To, and usually with that office of control has a bunch of things you can do according to Robert's rules of order and other sorts of institutions that have existed forever in America. Um, when it comes to what kind of uh, things they can hear, what kind of things they can accept from the participants in, in the meeting that they're orchestrating, right? There's all kinds of bounds around that, like that, that existing code, like they're not supposed to be able to delay the meeting or to delay counts or stuff like that or stay counts. Um, but I mean, ultimately, like, all these things are vague, right? And, and it isn't always clear exactly what they this guy had control over to do. The idea that he could send it back to the state legislatures, I couldn't find anywhere. And I really don't understand where that interpretation comes from. There might be a novel interpretation of somewhere in code that, that exists. I just couldn't find it. So um, with that, that gets down to the core question of the indictment and all the questions that happened at the meeting is you have the cultural force that says the election has to be legitimate because if it isn't, then it draws everything into question. And then you have the fact that in 2022, they reformed the 1877 act to make sure that it was now clear what the role of the VP is. So, and that he actually says that they actually admitted it because they changed the law. Well, they didn't admit it. They just admitted that it wasn't clear. It did. They did. It doesn't admit that the VP actually had that power, but it does admit that it was unclear that the VP didn't have any power. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where you can look at it and be like, well, they changed it right before it mattered. Right, right after. Or right after. Right I, after I think that. you might've said 2002, but you did mean 2020. 2022. Yep. 2020. Yeah. Okay. But like so in 2022, right as part of the continuing resolution slash spinning package, they reformed the 1870s. Oh, two years yeah. after his election. Yeah. They did that. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. But that was also the the OK. So this is what's so crazy about this moment, right? That it, the, the fact that the VP was a ceremonial role was the mainstream interpretation of the current law. Right. That's that's true. But the indictment seems to suggest that just having a novel interpretation of a law is a crime, yeah. right? Because they indicted all of his lawyers for saying, hey, we have a novel interpretation. We think this could be a good legal strategy. That is very strange, right? Like you can't, you can't make it illegal for lawyers to have opinions because how do you have law right? at that point? Well, that, that's where you get into the, the mode here of being like, well, what the hell is going on in the country <laughs> right now where you're incarcerating lawyers because of opinions that they're going to try to make in court and, and, and the strategy of it. Like, cause like, obviously they have to talk about these things with 
with their client mm -hmm. and they're just hypothesizing things around. And part of this indictment is basically is that he even suggested that it's a possibility that he could overturn the election, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of the whole premise of this well, right here. It's a little stronger than that, I think though, Kyle. I think it's I think they suggested it and then he acted on it. Right. And but he, he never he, really even acted he encouraged on this stuff, by right. encouraging Pence not to authenticate the election. Yeah, but this he is just was, like a conversation that's being had, right? Like it's like <laughs> a conversation yeah, is not, illegal. I, hey, I'm not on the DA's yeah. side here. I'm just yeah. saying that, you know, it's a little bit stronger than just the theory you know, of having the theory. It's not the thought crime of it. It's it's, it's them advising him. To the thought crime. Yeah, it's them <laughs> advising him to then pursue a legal plan that was illegal. Which is strange too, because it isn't that's that wouldn't normally be considered a thing you can go after a lawyer for, for, right? If a lawyer says, hey, when you get up on the stand, if, if you actually murdered somebody and I'm your defense lawyer and I say, hey, you know what you should do? Not confess to the crime when you're being, when you have to testify at your murder trial, right? Am I encouraging you to lie? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're encouraging to say nothing. Yeah. It's, it's right. like, it's like a lawyer coming in and just being like, my client's not going to speak anything. Right. You know, it's like, it's like, you don't talk about the stuff while there's an ongoing investigation going on. Like, right. because you know, you never know what could muddy the waters. Right. Like, I, that's just like a standard practice, practice. Right. Um, right. Right. So I, I'm, I, that's, what's so crazy about it is because we've made it illegal for lawyers to do their job and potentially advocate for novel legal interpretations. That's it. It is dangerous. Anytime you do have a novel legal interpretation of something very crazy, like this, like the peaceful transition of power, right? That's a very sensitive area, right? So these, these, you can, you can find some fault for them for being overly cavalier. Uh, but that, I think that's the most you furthest you can go, right? Well, it's it, definitely not illegal, right? But, I can't imagine how it is. But here's also the thing is like, there ultimately ended up becoming like a transfer of power that existed and we haven't had any right. like, like, and, and this is where it gets into like January 6th was the worst thing that's ever happened. Even, you know, even sure. 9-11 was not as bad as January 6th. Right. Like, and that is legitimately what people say on CNN and dude, and whatnot, chat right? GDP told me that. Yeah. I yeah, asked exactly. where was the worst moment in American history. It said it's January 6th. And then you ask that's, it, not 9-11. It was like, Oh, that was pretty bad too. <laughs> I was like, no, it actually said, no, you're right. 9-11 was worse. I was like, thank you. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> thank you for, uh, um, you're right, and I. But it's also important to note that attempted robbery is also illegal, right? So just be, you attempted a robbery, but it wasn't successful, doesn't mean it wasn't illegal. But but then you get into this thing of like Al Gore challenged the like, like you you've had like Amy Klobuchar, I believe her camp back in the 2016 election um, challenged the D Dominion voting systems mm -hmm. uh, during uh, Iowa or something. And that shouldn't be legal. And, and I think Elizabeth Warren did too back in those days. Like, right. like there was, there's, there's, there's been tons of like lawsuits levied towards like mm -hmm. voting systems and things like that in the past. And it's just like now it's basically illegal to question it, right? Like right. that's important, that's important context in all this too. I think that's true. And there's also, and, and but Hillary also, Clinton still thinks that she won the election. And not, yeah. Right. <laughs> and not every, not every objection to an election is born equally, right? Mm -hmm. Is like, so him encouraging the VP to not authenticate the election is a different sort of crime than him encouraging the DA of Georgia to not authenticate the election. Right to derelict his duty. Right, yeah. that would all. That would. Pro that's more clearly probably a problem. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, but like, if, if, if he indeed put, actually did that, I'm yeah. just saying he's accused of doing that. But if, yeah, it's like one of those things. But if you also put it into context of 2016 election, of you know, like we had to go through the election was a hoax during the 2016 election. Also, sure. but it was on the other side, right? Sure. And we went through legitimately intelligence operations working with the Hillary Clinton campaign on the Steele dossier. 
um, like we were just joking around about the whole Russian hooker story and all that stuff, right? right. Like that all comes out of the 2016 election, and you had like legitimately intel intelligence operations that were involved in all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so you ha you end up having like American intelligence operations directly involving themselves in American democracy and and suppressing the Hunter Biden story, which if you do polling on this, if like American public polling suggests that if they had known about the Hunter Biden story pr prior to it, they would have changed their sure. vote and it would have been enough to change the election. You know, right? one, of the, one of the crazy things um, is there's who do you hold accountable for the Hunter Biden laptop story, right? Because it's very clear that Trump is accountable for his actions, right? So you have someone you can hold an indictment for, but can you hold a... 40-something former CIA officials for their opinion about whether or not the laptop was... Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation. I think the accountability we can have... I think we can hold the entire blob accountable and just string them all up. <laughs> string, throw them out. <laughs> That's what I meant. Yeah, take it easy, guillotine. Steve over here. All right, so one other thing uh, that Trump said here is uh, the Thomas Jefferson vice president thing. This is very confusing because he makes it confusing. Thomas Jefferson was VP. Adams, who was actually the opposite party, was president. Because back in the day, the second person on the ticket became vice president. So it's, you generally had Republicans and Democrats on like the same. Yeah, yeah the equivalent of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so at this point, Georgia was a new uh, you know, state to the union, had controversies about their vote, the reporting of which was technically flawed. That It was just reported that it was flawed. It wasn't proven. Jefferson counted the votes, and that meant that Adams was no longer president and Jefferson became president because this is a situation that vice president actually running against the president. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't know what point he was trying to make there because <laughs> he didn't want to be Jefferson. But my, but I, 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 what he's trying to say is that this goes way back and that this is a part and parcel of the problem since the beginning. Uh, but I'm not sure that it's a, um, I don't think it makes the point he's trying to make. This is ultimately my problem with Trump is the nonspecifics in these long form interviews typically is yeah. that he's, he's not really good at these long form interviews because he doesn't ever go into specifics. Yeah, not enough. <laughs> and and, and, and I don't point. necessarily think that's like a strategy thing. I think that's just generally how he is. is mm. He tends to not go into that. Well, I noticed he spoke in circles a lot too. Like he kept yeah. kind of reiterating the same points over and over. And I, I, I didn't get the impression. That, I mean, he wasn't like he's ever been terribly eloquent per se, but he didn't really like say very much but he doesn't have the juice like he used to you know he doesn't have that juice well, that's I why mean, you're a Vivek guy now I see I see what it is well I He's was never a juice. Trump guy but like, yeah. you know yeah you were um, <laughs> <laughs> no like, I haven't voted since 2016 where I voted for Harambe <gasps> you can't do that like I voted for Harambe in 2016 <laughs> that's, that's the last person I voted for that's un-American Harambe is the most American sir uh, well, if I was gonna fake vote I'd vote for Ron Paul come on now yeah Right on no, Ron Paul every day until there you was die. there was twenty two thousand people that voted for Harambe. <laughs> That's legit. I always I always write myself in just you know just in case. You, know, like just you just want to see just in case. No, but like like the, to, you and your mom voting for you to defend myself against these like I'm a Trumper accusations here. Like I, I everyone I, knows I'm kidding, right? I liked what I liked about him is that there is a and there's a certain exposing of everything that happened under the Trump administration because he just kind of like throws bombs and he says the quiet things out loud often. And it really, and Trump really did sway the Republicans into a direction that I do like. Like everything that we talk about, the foreign policy stuff, like the, the, there's a, the, the Republicans were one way before the Trump time and then they were another way after the Trump time. And I think that's a very positive development. Mm -hmm. And a lot of illusions got broken down because of, I think, 
One, because of the love that a certain side has for Trump and because of the psychotic breaks that the other side has for Trump. Mm. Like there is a certain segment of the population that just has psychotic breaks when when the words Trump are mentioned. Like you might even just say like, I have a Trump card and you're not yeah. even talking about Trump. And people will be like, do you say Trump? Right? Like it, it shows this like religious division that exists. And I mean like religious in a real way. It was like, we have cults forming right now. I experienced right. someone gleefully, gleefully describing watching him get arrested like yeah with just such joy it was like they'd just seen like their first child born or something it was like <laughs> the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> it's a strange priority what yeah. <laughs> why like, a child being born and trump being arrested it's like the two pinnacle you, moments of life I mean, but if, you, if you've spent the last however many years now just hearing every bad thing about this person and you see this laundry list of accusations and indictments and this and that and you have every reason to believe because it's your tribal affiliation to believe that this person is guilty of all these things regardless of whether or not they're actually born out which most of them haven't yet of course i mean i, I suppose that makes perfect sense if that's your worldview of course you're going to think well this is this is something that i need to see happen for justice to be served well there's a there's a thing too where like all the people I hate slamming Trump makes me want to like Trump more. Right? You know, that's often <laughs> that's, how right, I get there. That's how it goes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I think that's a part of the contrarian nature of most libertarians is like if people dislike something well, enough, it almost just becomes funny to like observe that phenomenon. Well, but, no, but it's, it's, it's most that, libertarians had a Trump derangement syndrome too. Like there's like a certain segment of libertarians that didn't. And I got very dissatisfied. Like one of the reasons why I don't really call myself libertarian anymore is because of like how I think the Trump moment turned libertarians also. Like there's just this like annoying thing that came out of like a, a large swath of libertarian types of like they had this vitriol to, towards them too. And it's just like, you're just like falling into the, the into the, your enemy's hands. Like well, I think like, it was almost a fact of like, libertarians had to disavow Trump. Otherwise you lose credibility for being, well, I'm partially like this liberal type of person and I'm partially this conservative type of person. If you say, I don't see what's so bad about Trump immediately your liberal friends are like, Oh, well you're obviously just a Republican in disguise. Yeah. 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 Well, the libertarians are fiscally conservative. Socially liberal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If that was your idea of it. I mean, I think to me, it's well, always, no, that's not my idea of it. I, I hate that. if that was someone's <laughs> exactly. idea, not you, Kyle, you feel like I'm attacking you. I'm not attacking you. I was actually just kidding. Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> but you know, okay. So a good example, uh, a bunch of the neocons from the bulwark and from national review and like, all those people started attacking Vivek this week oh, yeah. because of the debate. Nothing made me like him more. Oh yeah. All the people, because I if they are afraid of him, that probably means he's a threat to them. And that probably means you should support him. That's not a good reason to support somebody, but it's a reason. It's a good, it's a good signal. <laughs> it's a good signal right. because it be. means there's something there, there that means like they have a reason to oppose. It's probably a better reason than, 70% of why people vote in this day and age anyway, right? It's, it's because they're voting against someone. Yeah. Kind of like, like I don't Or like that's Trump, just how they like always vote. Yeah. I always vote with that, the letter or at least, next to their I think there's name. a little bit more to it if it's like this person has a particular philosophy that I think is dangerous and bad and they don't like this person so I need to give this person a second look. I think that's a completely reasonable way to go about starting getting your orientation in a particular political arena. Well, one of the things is like, I found one of my problems with a lot of people that were kind of like the Trump derangement types where they, there was like an inability to recognize why Trump became a thing. And everybody just kind of had this like, there's like, ah, it's because people are racist. 
or you know it's like it's like something like that and it's like no it's because like all of our politicians and like all of you people that I'm targeting here and what I'm saying and all of you beltway types that come from like both the conservative and the libertarian t- types too, like the national reviews and people like that. Um, they're also like this. They're kind of all part of the cultural blob of DC, right? Like they, they failed to recognize that like middle America is deeply hurting. People want their jobs back people. And, and you have this guy coming forward and promising. It was like, all these people are liars. I can do that for you. And they have this big, like celebrity businessman that they've, that they've known for decades. And they're just like, yeah, let's let's try the mystery box out. <laughs> right? Like, What's behind door and, and, he, and he's speaking something to me, right? And it's like you have to understand. It's not because all of a sudden America just became super racist again. Mm-hmm. It's not because there's like an influx of neo Nazis coming through, and like that's all these types want to just say is like he he's dog whistling to these people, and everybody's just like. Well, fuck you. <laughs> like, like you don't understand what our problems actually are anymore. And this guy seems to have some semblance of a strategy on this. You know, he's kind of salesman-y, and it, there is kind of a mystery there. But it's just like it's better than what all these other options are. Right. And that's what these people were kind of feeling. And that's where the Oliver Anthony stuff comes in. It's the, it's the same thing. Right? For Here's years thing. before Trump, though, there was like the new market is the market of authenticity. And that's where he came across is because he came across as authentic. And that's why the, the, we divided the entire Republican field into who was authentic, Vivek and Christie, who was, who kind looked bad. Christie has Christy. a different New Jersey. Thing yeah. Yeah. He looked <laughs> authentic in the way that a bully is authentic. Vivek yeah. looked authentic in the way that a leader or a salesman is authentic. Everyone else looked like a robot. That's that. That's a read. That's a, a lens to which to view that. And people were tired of the inauthenticity. And Trump looks authentic for the most part yeah. for people. To provide a counterpoint to that, if I were in a position of, let's just say, sort of picking the future leader of the United States, and I wanted to cultivate support from a base, from Trump's base, to sort of try to disempower Trump to some degree, Vivek would be a great candidate to do that in sort of a reverse psychology kind of way. Make him seem like the outsider. Make him seem like he's this guy that's like really new and, you know, has these novel this novel approach. You know, juxtapose him with all of these establishment politicians, all these neocons. And then really, you know, just essentially use that to siphon the energy into a, a, a person, a place that you can control. And I'm not saying that that's the case, but I'm saying that if I were trying to pull the strings and be the puppet yeah. master, that wouldn't be a bad way to go. I think about a lot it. of people have views of politics that are like that. And I think a big interim, like psychological motivation for that is that they don't really know what it feels like to ever get a win. Hmm. And so anytime something feels like they're going their way, they have to psychologize for why it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, there's such a. And I'm not saying that like to condemn them. I'm no. saying like it's understandable. I mean, you've been losing for since 1913. <laughs> when you say right. they, who, who are you speaking to? The, the entire culture of the right and free markets and you and know a, classical and, and, liberalism and, and, and all these ideas. And he's like, you're going to get tired of winning. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, or, or Vivek comes in and sounds very polished and sounds very much and without maybe some of the baggage well, that Trump has. I, he's, I think th- he's married with kids and doesn't have, you know, three divorces and, you know, the kind of baggage of being a playboy that Trump has. Maybe we don't know. We well, don't know if back that well. I, I think another element here too is like, it seems, and I think a lot of people see this and they're starting to kind of psych. This is becoming part of the American psychology right now is that there seems to be really like three paths going forward. The first one's boring and it's what nobody really wants. And it's the status quo. Nobody wants the status quo, mm-hmm. but a lot of these candidates are the status quo, right? So they're instantly 2% of the polls. 
forget them. They don't matter. Then you kind of have like, there's a sentiment of like, it's interesting to see coming up in public parlance, you see like the national divorce conversation becoming more popular in public parlance. You're seeing people on the right and the left talking about it. Um, and there's, there's that as like, we might just have to have a go our separate ways because these cultures cannot, they're not congruent with each other anymore. Or you have, and this is the central piece of Vivek's messaging, is that there needs to be like a spiritual revival and like a common identity that we all kind of come to share again. And that is really this. And in a lot of ways, I kind of think Trump is national divorce. And this is like actually the difference between them. Trump mm -hmm. is almost like national divorce, uh, you know, bash on your haters kind of mm -hmm. a thing. And Vivek is like, we can all come together again. Mm -hmm. And that is one area where I think they are actually different. Mm -hmm. and, and to me, it seems like the only real solutions here are either everybody comes together again. And that seems like a challenging premise. It's kind of like a Jordan Peterson. We have to have a common story, right? right. It's very Jordan Peterson like, or we just go our separate ways, man. Like, and we, and there's like the secession arguments that come in. Those are decades and decades of work probably towards, but yeah, that those seem to be how you handle the cultural divides. You either come together or you separate. Right. Right. And I think, I think a lot of, for the, a lot of those folks that look at Vivek right now and their immediate response is he must be, he's too good to be true. It's because you've kind of gotten trained by a, 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 a soft bigotry of low expectations. You expect things to be a lie. And so when something that comes along that's good, you can't, you can't differentiate it anymore because you can't differentiate the lie from the truth, right? And that's the entire goal of, not the goal, but the kind of end result of all of the constant state of like, what's really true, what's really real, what's is the media lying to me state that we're in. And I think the only real antidote to that for, at least for the Vivek case is listen to him. Listen, he's got two different, the four hour long podcast with Jordan Peterson, where he dives into a lot of his personal moral philosophy. And you could learn a lot about the guy from that. And he has his own podcast as part of the campaign too. Yeah. There's so much content people. where you, if you have those doubts, I think if you dive into it, I wonder how you're going to come out the other side. It'll be an interesting journey. I'd, I'd legitimately like to know what viewers think. Well, about and I've it. legitimately yeah. seen one of the biggest arguments from like Silicon Tech Valley crowds is saying that they actually think he's too smart to be president. <laughs> and you're like, is that like, like bigotry of low expectations? Yeah. Like, there, there's that right there. I've actually seen like legitimately, pe like legitimate people saying that about Yeah. Him. I think that was the yeah. all in podcast. Didn't they say that? Uh, yeah, they like do. That? But yeah. like, there's yeah. a lot of people in that crowd. I wouldn't that be surprised. That, right. Yeah. Well, and I only bring up these objections because I want to maintain a little bit of, uh, objectivity about it, sure. uh, you know, uh, sort of a third party observational perspective. And I don't want to just put all my chips in the Vivek basket. Mm -hmm. Um, because as we, we all come to realize, I think with time in the political sphere, observing it, voting, you know, wishing and hoping for something, seeing the opportunity in a candidate and then seeing the real, the reality of the outcome, even folks who voted for Trump, who expected him to drain the swamp, that didn't happen. Mm. And so to me, there's, there's, a, there's a difference between the idealism of what a guy believes in and who he is and what he wants to do and then what is actually possible to be done given the framework that they're working within. And to me, it's, it's not, I, I don't want to be too jaded because I understand that I am. As, a, as someone who identifies as like a third party, as someone who, who watched Ron Paul deliver that kind of beautiful message in 2008 and 2012 and just, just basically get dispensed with by the Republican establishment, I am a little bit jaded and, and I, and I recognize that, but I also think there's a realism to it. It just says like, look, you're not, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. And I want to maintain a little bit of reality about the situation to say, I think I like Vivek. I think he has a lot of really great things going for him. It's early and we're going to have to just find out how it's going to go and see I, where the I chips fall. I have two fall. thoughts on what you said there. One, 
Ron Paul was over a decade ago and the culture has changed. Right. So sure. like things have changed here. And I think the Ron, Ron Paul energy is very alive and it's prospering still. Um, and I think it's th like a lot of Republicans are kind of seeing like the error of their old ways and they've changed their minds. Right. So like Ron Paul, unfortunately, was kind of uh, wrong time and place in a lot of ways. But like I said earlier in the podcast, he inspired a lot of young people that still are growing up and will become important in the future. It's, it's kind of like back to the future. It's like you're, you're it, you know, it's a little too early, but your parents are really going to love that. Right. You yeah. know, when he gets up and he plays Buddy Holly. So like, that's I think that's a way to think about it. And additionally, that how would you be able to tell the difference between those two, between the candidate that actually came along that was even if they can't do the thing, they need to say their orientation so you know they're the right person to put in the role to change things so that they could do the thing. Sure. Does that well, make sense? And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with voting for the guy who you think has the, the right vision and the right. capability to achieve it. Right. Well, and here, here's, one of, yeah. here's one of the main differences between Trump and Vivek that I think really makes me like Vivek a lot more than Trump is um, Trump is just, let's drain the swamp, but there's no like actual strategy there, right? <laughs> he might have strategy now, but he still hasn't really articulated well enough for me to like think he has a strategy yeah. vivek actually comes here with like here are the exact statutes that i would that i would use as my attack vectors for actually draining the swamp and that's that's very important because at least he has a plan is the plan going to work but there's at least a plan right <laughs> like, absolutely he would, he would still need 60 republicans uh, in the senate which is a hugely consequential huge on a whole different set of races, right? That's possible in 2024, but not necessarily guaranteed to happen. No. And then he needs a majority of Republicans in the House, which is very doable, right? So Republicans hold a majority and are able to pick up the Senate. And then you have someone like Vivek with enough cultural push, you could have a real change. And, and it's not saying that's necessarily going to happen. I think a lot of people are so tired of being disappointed they can't find themselves to be vulnerable enough again to like believe something good could happen but it is only in the space where we make ourselves vulnerable to the good to something changing that something can what right well, like you true. never start working out till you show up to the fucking gym right so <laughs> like if, you, if you're saying i'm not gonna i'm not gonna let myself be hurt again you know by another politician <laughs> and then you don't you're never going to get I'm yourself in a situation ready. where you actually find a politician that actually ready. can solve a problem that you want to solve. Well, well and I, I can't stress enough the the thing of like, don't, especially with someone like Vivek, don't think too short term of like, it just matters about this election. Right. Vivek is 38 years old. He's going to be around for a while. And a lot of the people that he's going to inspire are literally 20 years old right now and they have no power or anything and those people will eventually run for office and those people will be inspired it's the same thing like the jordan peterson moment like you know he inspired all these young people like those people still don't really matter they were they were high schoolers <laughs> that he was inspiring and like they're going to be important people later on like like think large and like generational shifts rather than like 2024 <laughs> right. right like these are important things because yeah. like we're talking about large scale trends that happen over time mm, right? absolutely mm. Well, I think that's a really positive note to end on. Don't lose hope. Don't be jaded like me. Vote for who you believe in. Old man Joe. But, but, remain, but remain skeptical and observant of all things, right? 
In any case, thank you so much for tuning in to the Vivek Ramaswamy Fan Club podcast. If you want to donate to his campaign, go to linktree.com slash Captain Quigley. I have a link. <laughs> by the way, by the way, to be clear, Kyle and I still need to have a debate about Ramaswamy's point of view on Taiwan and to see how we actually have it at some other point. But I'm, I'm open to that. We need to talk about that because like, I've been looking at his view. I think he actually, I'm not sure about his view. There's a lot to be said. I'm not in the, I'm not in the Ramaswamy <laughs> fan club but i'm uh, willing to be just gotta you just gotta get my vote well Vivek. this idea that maybe come on the podcast and if, i'll vote for you if, if this is if this is the thing because you have one disagreement with him like, no no, no <laughs> I, I that's a problem what do i disagree with him I, I i you know it's it's hard to say i mean overall foreign policy i I've, I've he has two points on foreign policy three points right and you like i need you a, like two of three of them yes <laughs> and i need a foreign policy philosophy right that's that's what will actually get me to like volunteer on your I think campaign. he has a more realist like Douglas McGregor type of view which yeah and I'm okay I'm open to a realist and restrained which is not a libertarian non-interventionist view like, yes like a realist Douglas McGregor view is different right? yes yes uh, mm. which is better than a neocon which I'm willing than, to settle for better than every day of the week that's <laughs> <laughs> true that's true all right well guys we did a, a good long uh, recap on this I hope that you found it valuable at home if uh, you would like to find us around the web, uh, please do go to Vivek Ramaswamy for president, 2024.com. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, Linktree.com slash human reaction pod. Thanks so much for watching. For David Rand, for Kyle Mack, for Evan on the buttons. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Help us fight internet censorship by liking, commenting, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with your friends. To find us around the internet, visit Linktree.com slash human reaction pod. And remember and I will not let you down.